Guys, so it's such a blessing and privilege to be with you today. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my, my name is Steve-O, Steve, Steve-O. Um, I'm part of the leadership team here at Olive Tree Church. And today I'll be taking us uh, into the second part of our series on um, the sacred art of not caring. Can everyone see? And specifically, the art of caring less about people, or at least what they care about. Now, this is an intriguing um, opportunity for us to, to delve into some of the things that seem very counterintuitive. And in order to do so today, I'm going to take us through four, four essential things. I'm going to outline what the series is about and what the theme means. I'm going to share some personal experiences from my side and tussles with this theme. I'm going to try and help us understand what Jesus specifically says about this. And then I'm going to try and give us some practical and theological insights into how to deal with it and how to conquer it. There's a number of incredible verses in the Bible that speak specifically to it, but the one I want to focus on most today that will run through the sermon is from Matthew 13, 3 to 9, and verse 22. And it goes like this. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A, father, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell, fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. And in, the, in Jesus' explanation of it down the line, he says, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. So over the past few weeks, I've had the privilege, and I say privilege lightly because for those of you that travel quite a bit, um, know that the romantic side of traveling withers away fairly quickly, but the privilege has been to travel up and down to Tanzania via Ethiopia and Uganda twice. Um, I did a quick study, it amounted to about 25,000 Ks of, uh, of travel. But during this time, I, I, I rattled in my brain the, the ideas or wrestled with this theme. And the theme is, of today is, is, the, is based on a book. I won't um, take you through the title of the book, but I'd love to share some of the insights from the book so that you guys get a little bit more of a handle of what, this, what is this thing of caring, caring less or caring about the right thing. So I want to take you through three points quickly. The first one is, is a point which a philosopher, Alan Watts, uh, spoke about, and it's called the backwards law. And it goes like this. The idea that the more you pursue feeling better all the time, the less satisfied you will become. As pursuing something only reinforces the fact that you lack it in the first place. The more desperately you want to be rich, the more poor or unworthy you feel regardless of how much money you actually make. The more desperately you want to be happy and loved, the lonelier and more afraid you'll become, regardless of those around you. So it seems to me that there's this perpetual downward cycle of thinking 
that if we pursue what the marketing, what the world is shoving in our faces as that which is perfect, which is lovely, as we pursue it, we only but understand the fact that we might just lack it. And in that cycle, we just get more and more lonely and more and more unhappy. So what to do about it? The book proposes that we need to be open with our insecurities, which paradoxically makes us feel more comfortable and confident around each other. The pain of honest confrontation is what generates trust and respect in relationships. Suffering through fears and anxieties is what allows us to build the confidence and the courage through perseverance that Nat so shared about. So understanding these two things first, we understand that we have to now care carefully. And the essence of today is how do we care carefully about the right things? What the book also talks about is that we only have so many cares to give. Each one of us has these things keep being thrown at us each and every day. And we've only got so many cares to give. So the point essentially is to learning, learn how to focus and prioritize your thoughts effectively. Learning how to pick and choose what matters to you based on some finely tuned internal personal values. So for those of you in this room that think, okay, it sounds, sounds good, philosophy is good, but where does Jesus come into it? And I'm glad you asked. What does this mean for Christians? Or perhaps some of you are already Christians and are wondering, so what more does Jesus add to this? And I hope that by the end of today, I'll have some of those answers, questions answered. So I'd like to show to you some of the cares of this world that we find ourselves enveloped in. They should come up in the, in the screen behind us. And these are the things that I think in this world we find, you and I find, care-worthy. So is it the house on the right side of the track? Is it the happy family that others looking in from the outside can only but dream because everything on the surface seems so perfect? All smiles and roses. Is it the nice car, the big SUV that we South Africans just love? Is it the highly significant or impactful work that we do? Is it the rugby team that we support? That's the right one, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> Is it the school that your kids go to? Or how you as mom and dad are always at the back beck and call of your kids, and that's what's defining you? Lastly, is the thing that you care most about how many Instagram followers you have or how many tweets of your last latest wisecrack you're getting. So in wrestling with this theme, traveling over Lake Victoria for the fourth time in, two, in 10 days, uh, I was reminded of a story that I had, um, or a personal experience I had years and years ago as a young man. See, I had this desire to play tennis, to be a very good tennis player, I dreamt about it, um, I'd like to think I had enough talent to do it, but despite the fact that no matter how many times my coach sat on the, other, the end of the, the net saying to me, you've got it, just stick with it, work it through, no matter how many times I'd heard that and how many times I'd dreamt about it, it never happened. So I never got, quite got to realizing that dream of winning those matches and holding the trophy high. And the reason that I realized was that I just didn't care enough. 
So I loved the idea, I dreamt, I loved the desire, but I was not willing to sacrifice that enough time to practice, to work it through, to actually make it happen. So I think for each of us, we probably sit in one of three categories. And it reflects that we either care too much, or we either care too little, or perceive to care too little, or we care about things just in the wrong place. So let's explore that a little bit more. And I'd like you guys to just think as I explore, what are those, or in which category do you see yourselves? So the first one is for those people that just say, I, and I say, say say carefully, that we just don't care. So we don't care about the things around us. We've put up a wall or a facade that the world perceives we just don't, we just don't care. But I'd like to point out something that I think for those of you in that category, it's impossible to not care. See, I believe that what's happened is you've put up this wall because you're or me and you potentially, are fearful about what the world does see if we do care. So if we do care and we do run, are we going to be shown up as being inadequate? I think it's a real possibility. The second person is that that cares a lot, but cares about the wrong things. And I think a lot of us, if you could put up your hand if you agree with me, but I think a lot of us will find ourselves in that kind of category. We really do care, but the, th- the things that we care about are not, cared, are not based on the things of eternal value, but the things that are temporal, those things that I put on the, on the screen, those things that we think define us and define our happiness. It's the house, it's the car, it's the relationship. Specifically, the difficulty about this world right, right here and now is that the world is telling us what to care about. The marketing world is always showing us a picture of what is beautiful, what is handsome, what is happiness. And our friends are telling us the same thing. And if we're not careful, we'll pursue that and only end up in the downward cycle that I I portrayed a little bit earlier. And the last one, the things that I hope we, by the end of this message, understand a little bit more, is the things that really do care. And I'd like to propose that those things are the things that have eternal value. And this is the goal for me. Um, for me, it's defined in Matthew 6, 19, 20. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see, we have to put our cares somewhere, and our actions will be defined by our cares. Are we going to put them in things that are temporal, that destroy, are destroyed by, rust, uh, by moths or rust? It's a new word, too. <laughs> or those things that actually have eternal significance and of internal value. So where do you sit? For me, a lot of these things that drive me to care are actually rooted quite a bit in identity. And I'd like to explore that a little bit more. So my beautiful wife is sitting in the front row. For those of of you that don't know, her name is Jess. When I first met her, I was obviously stricken by her, her absolute beauty. 
But on top of that, there was something else that attracted me to her. And it wasn't only her beauty. It was a strength. But it was a different kind of strength. It was a strength in her security. I'd like to share a little bit funny story on that. So she was traveling down the south coast one day as a young white girl, probably 10 years ago, fairly vulnerable, driving along the N2, and all of a sudden there was a roadblock. So the, the stop sign went from go to stop, and she turned, and, and she, she obviously had to stop, and she happened to stop behind a taxi. And that taxi inside took the opportunity to throw out all of its litter onto the road next door. And the picture goes like this, that Jess was so secure in the things that she cared about and the things that were important to her that she jumped out of her car, (laughs) ran over, picked up the litter, pretty much pulled the taxi driver out of the car, gave him a a massive talking through, and threw the litter back in. (laughs) Now, for me, that is impossible to do. I would be, I would shirk back and, you know, I'm comfortable, you do what you need to do. But she was so secure in her identity and the things that she cared about that she had none of it. I'd like to share a little bit about my story about identity and security and significance. See, when I was a a young man growing up, I, I really had an issue with people pleasing. So I looked in all the wrong places for security and for affirmation and for, for approval because I think each and every one of us have the sense of wanting to belong, wanting to be worthy, wanting to be significant. But for me, I looked in all the wrong places. So I looked in alcohol and I looked in, in girls and I looked in bad relationships and I looked in those things that my friends were telling me to, to care about because I was a people pleaser. And there was a time where I sat, where I stood in the dance floor in the middle of the night at two o'clock in some club in Cape Town. And I looked around the room and I felt that those things that I'd been pursuing were empty. And all the significance I'd looked for had gone. There was a, there was a hole in my heart that couldn't be filled by those things that the world was telling me to care about. I had an identity issue. And I realized that only Jesus could fill that hole. Amen. Amen. And that significance, that approval, those things that told me what to care about and what to live out could only be found in Jesus. We all seek these things. We all seek the significance, the need to be needed, the need to be valued. The question is, where do you get it from? Are you getting it from the things that the world is telling you to care about? to love, to cherish, to hold close, to drive? Are you getting it from Jesus? A few months back, Nats asked me to preach on a once-off message. Unfortunately, because of my, my travels, I wasn't able to do it. But it was based on a verse in John 4, um, 31 to 34. And I think it's quite pertinent to today. I was going to entitle the preach Food for Thought. And the, the message go, or the verse goes like this. Meanwhile, Jesus' disciples said to him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, 
I have food to eat that you have nothing that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. So for those of you that don't know the story, the context of the story is Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman at the well on his way from Jerusalem to Galilee or the other way around. And he was sitting there and what struck his disciples most is that he wasn't supposed to be talking to this woman. She was a Samaritan and the Samaritans were absolute enemies of the Jews. And he was a Jew and Jews weren't supposed to speak to women in public even. And his disciples came into the space and were so shocked by it, I think they didn't know what to say. So they blurted out, Rabbi, you you must be hungry. Let's go and get something to eat. In other words, let's go and get something that you must be starved. You must need something to sustain you. But he pointed out, absolutely not. You guys are missing the point. I don't want this food, this food that you or I'm not driven or sustained by this food that you are telling me to go and have. I'm sustained by the will of the one who sent me. So the question for us is, what is that thing that sustains us? What is that thing that drives you, that drives me? Is it the material things of this world? The things that we perceive to be wholesome and attractive? Or is it the living, the daily bread, the living bread, the bread of life, as Jesus explains himself to be? Do we drive to to be fed daily by material things or do we drive to be fed daily by manna from heaven? Are we driven by an intimate relationship with him? And do we seek to work that out in our daily lives? What do we understand to be the things worth fighting for? Do we want to fight for, or are we willing to sacrifice that, that time? In this context, Jesus was saying, I can't go to food. I can't go have food with you. I'm driven by, by my, mess, my kingdom message, my kingdom purpose. See, Jesus was painting a picture of the difference between the physical world and the spiritual world and the importance of prioritizing one over the other. I'm not saying for one instance that we mustn't eat. (laughs) I'm saying that we must care about the right things. See, Jesus didn't get distracted with what people thought. Back to our verse for the day, Matthew 13, 3 to 9 and 22. says, the one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but that the the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. It goes on to say that the the, 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 the seed that produced fruit was the man that heard the word, or that heard the word and understood it. In other words, was able to follow it and care for it and prioritize it. So for me, as a people pleaser, I understand that only through identity, my understanding of my identity, 
only through understanding of the, thing, of the things of heaven, that I'm secure as a son of, and daughter of the Most High, and that only in that space I have the confidence to say yes to this and no to that, to not be choked out by the worries of this world. I think practically what we need to do is understand that in some instances in our lives, we need to put up boundaries. And I think that for us in Belito in this world is very, very different, difficult. We need to know the difference between the crowd and the core. We need to figure out who can we listen to. See, we're called to love people, but we're called to care carefully. And it's not going to be easy. So I'd like to share something just practical with us. Um, A few months ago, I was listening to a preach. Um, There's a guy called T.D. Jakes. I don't know if any of you know him. Amen. Amen. (laughs) But he's a big African-American guy. And uh, I'm definitely not going to do it justice, but I had to try. It was too good an opportunity. He basically was able to get his congregation up on their feet and so excited by this but I'll copy it and try anyway. And it's about being strong. So I'd like you just to listen to this a little bit. In this fight, that's not going to be easy. We need to be strong. I'll get into it. <laughs> that, was, that was horrible. <laughs> when the world demands that you need to prove your worth through what you own, be strong. When the crowd demands that you sacrifice your integrity to do what they are doing, be strong. When work demands your time and you sacrifice intimacy with your family or your husband or your wife to give that time, be strong. When the latest trends on social media or Netflix gobble up your time when it could be used serving others, be strong. When peer or even family pressure drives you away from what you know is right. Be strong when running or gym or surfing or the pub or whatever it is that your mates are doing keeps you from intimacy with Jesus. Be strong when the world tells you that there's an easy way out of marriage. But you know that everything worthwhile is uphill and is hard work, but it's valuable and it's worthwhile. Be strong when the cares of those around you drown out the spirit's small voice inside of you, telling you what decision to make or what direction to take. Be strong when the world says, Put your trust in your own abilities, in your own hands. Like we, pray, well, like we worship this morning, put your trust wholly in Jesus' name. So in wrapping up this morning, it's a privilege to have my parents here on the second, second row. They're from Benoni. Eh? So for those of you that were worried about or wondering what the right side of the track was, (laughs) we'll argue about that later.
You're strong, good. When I moved down to Durban 10 years ago, my, my dad um, sent me with a few verses. I don't know if you remember that, but one of them was, was this. It was um, Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, and it goes like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Each one of us has a race. Jesus had a race. Do you think he would have been able to endure the cross if his cares were in the wrong place? He understood what was important. He understood that he needed to endure this cross in order to achieve the ultimate goal that the Father had um, set out for him. Each one of us has a race. You have been designed and appointed specifically to win it. And I'd like to propose that it has eternal consequences. Don't get tripped up by people pleasing. Love them with grace and mercy, but don't perform for them. We have an opportunity to perform either for an audience of many, for a crowd, potentially for a community. As I was preparing for the sermon, I was just reminded of, of a little saying that goes like this, perform for an audience of one, because that is what's important. To wrap up, there's a verse in 2 Timothy 4 verse 7 that goes like this, and the context is that Paul is writing to Timothy, his, effectively his disciple, this boy that he's grown up, that he's encouraged. And Paul's looking back at his life and he says this, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. I'd like us to think about what that would look like for us. Will we be able to say that at the end of our lives? So today, I encourage you just to give your heart to Jesus and sow your cares into the things of eternal value. I'd like to propose that each one of us take responsibility to put in the necessary boundaries to ensure that we care less about what people think of us and the journey that we're on and the things that we fight for and more about what Jesus says about us and for us. To be able to embrace our weaknesses and in so doing, allow Jesus and his strength to work through us and in us to achieve things of eternal value. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. 
Lord, thank you that you've called us to run a race. Lord, thank you that for each and every one of us, you have made us so beautiful with a specific purpose. Lord, help us to be strong in understanding what are the things that we need to do to run that race without being distracted or choked out like the weeds do. Father, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy as we go through this, Lord. I pray that this isn't about a striving, more about a recalibration to you, Lord Jesus. Father, thank you that there's joy and peace in knowing who we are as sons and daughters, that there's security sincerely in that place. And Lord, I pray that that just filters through us as a community and as a, as a church, that we know who we are, that we understand the race we're running. And Lord, that it just brings such good fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Why don't you give him a big hand? That was so awesome, Steve. Well done.